0: Life worth living. Did you know that God is depending on your prayers? So often in church and when you read in the Bible, we see that we are to depend on God. But did you know that God is depending on you and depending on you to pray faith-filled prayers, mountain-moving prayers, uh, healing prayers, deliverance prayers? I'll tell you what, it's up to us to start praying and asking God And the Bible tells us that when we ask of God, he's going to answer our prayers. So listen in and be blessed. So let's read this chapter 10 in Luke. And chapter 10 in Luke has a lot of wonderful things, but we're going to stick with these first three verses. And it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go he told them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field go i am sending you out like lambs among wolves and then of course there are some wonderful things that follow most of this verse is these verses are easy to understand uh, we'll get to the one that, that really aroused my interest. We understand that the Lord had signified 72 people. He was sending out two by two who were going to be preparing the towns for his ministry when he got there. Seventy-two of them. Uh, and, and so they, they went. He told them also, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Nothing hard to understand about that. The harvest are the unsaved. And we are to reach them through the power of the Holy Spirit and make them a part of the harvest of souls that we take and present to the Lord on the day that that we see him and when we're all gathered around him. The workers are few. Boy, they are. We always know that. And uh, we've said sometimes, thank God for the ladies it's hard for me to tell tonight if there are more ladies than men. There, there are just about as many men here tonight as there are ladies, right? Uh, no, I must be going blind because uh, there are a lot more ladies. It's that way everywhere that I've been. The ladies accept the Lord. I don't know what happens to the guys, but there's going to be a wonderful gathering of men as we seek God and wait on his face and cry to his precious name. Hallelujah. The workers are few. We know that. Ask the Lord. Now, this is the strange part. Ask the Lord of the Harvest, therefore, to send that workers into His harvest field. And uh, I don't know if it was disrespectful of me to plant uh, to plantar. You don't say plant a question. To uh, you said in Spanish, plantar una pregunta. But anyway, I um, formed the question. Why in the world? And I, I say this respectfully. If God said it, it was the right thing to say. I never doubt that. Um, and I ask the question to to dig deep into what God is trying to teach us. But the uh, the the Lord of the harvest, therefore, pray ask Him to send out workers into His harvest field. Number one, it's His harvest field. Number two, He knows that He needs workers. Number three. He can send workers without my help. Number four, why does he want me to ask him to send out workers into his harvest field? That's the key question right there. Is God telling us something in that? Um, I think he is, at least to me. And and it's something I, I, I want to just kind of ponder here tonight as we look at it together. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do you know what? God could do that a lot more effectively than if he gets me involved. God can do everything. There's nothing he can't do. And he could just speak with powerfully through signs and wonders or miracles or whatever to people and they would repent on their knees before God and cry out to him for mercy. If he sends you and me, He is working through with imperfect uh, tools and equipment and people and personnel. But you know what? God wants to depend on me. That's the only reason God depends on me. The only reason God depends on you is because he wants to depend on you. And he wants to do wonderful things in your life while he's working through you and using you for his glory and for his name's sake God wants to depend upon you and me and um, he sent the great commission you know and he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and uh, he said behold I'm with you every day until the end of the age so it's God and you working together we're working together that's his plan. He wants to use us. He wants to depend upon us. And what a glorious thing that is. And so we are to ask the Lord of the harvest to do what he already wants to do. He wants to send out workers into his harvest field. I know that. He wants to empower them. He wants them to be people of prayer and people of commitment and people who are determined to do his will. And who put him first in their lives just as this song said that we just sang Lord, my heart's desire, the greatest desire of my life is to know you more. It's a great thing in our lives when we reach that point where it is a major concern of ours to know God better and to obey him more completely and to be more and more like him so that others see him in us and desire to know him in a wonderful way also. But I remember... um, a writing of a certain evangelist. There was an evangelist many years ago. Uh, I, think he, I think he just recently passed away. T.L. Osborne, who was used of God mightily on the foreign field, especially in Indonesia. There was a great campaign and another one in, in Guatemala because this man believed God for healings. And while his ministry in the United States was never very successful on the foreign field, it was. And God used him. He, he did some writing as well. And he wrote in his book, and he said, you don't need a call from God to be a missionary. He said, the, the call is in the word. The word says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Where you need a call is if you're not going to go as a missionary, and God calls you to stay home. That was his idea in his presentation. I didn't actually believe it, but I it uh, kind of aroused my curiosity, and I went to a a good friend of mine, a missionary in Guatemala, and I said, Brother Franklin, Brother Osborne says that we don't need a call to be a missionary, that we already have it in the word, and that what we need to call for is to stay home and not go as a missionary. Do you agree with that? He said, no. He didn't agree with that. He said, you need a call if you're going to be a missionary, because if you don't, have a call and know that you're called when you get on the field and things get a little tough and difficult you want to go home and we have seen that more than once happen there has to be a call I remember that when we were in Spain there was a missionary's daughter who was attending our services there and her father came from Brazil and was visiting them and he uh, he wanted to talk to me and he said, you know, you need to go to Brazil. In Brazil, with the same effort that you're putting forth here, you could have a thousand people instead of less than a hundred. And I said to him, Well, I forgot his last name actually. I said, Well, the thing is, every field has been hard to begin with. Somebody in Brazil, somebody in Brazil went through the hard times and they dug in there until the work was established, and now it, it has more Pentecostals than any other nation in the world. The big Pentecostal country of the world is Brazil. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who uh, belong to the Pentecostal churches there. And I'm sure the brother understood me. He didn't press the issue, but but we knew that God had called us to Spain. And so God was answering somebody's prayer. Somebody had prayed, Lord, send forth workers into Spain. And God heard that and laid it upon our hearts and we were there for some 22 years as well as later time of course in Mexico but um, God wants workers to be sent and the workers need to be known that they're sent and that the call comes from God Um, let's see he said the harvest is plentiful and we've asked this question I I began to research this matter in the scripture Does, does the Bible teach that does the Bible teach that, or that, that, that we, we ask God to do what we already know he wants to, we, he wants to do? And I came up with several scriptures, and um, you know what seems to come to me is that actually God depends on our prayers. There are things that God wants to do, but he's not going to do them if we don't pray, if we don't ask him to do those. And uh, let me give you some examples. And maybe you disagree with me. And, uh, and I want to tell you, if you disagree with me, you'll have to go to the end of a line. Because <laughs> there's a big line out there that disagree. But that doesn't matter. Well, you and I are looking at the Word of God. We want, we want what His Word says. Um, we go, for example, to James 2 and 2. Where James was speaking to some people and he said, you, you do not have because you do not ask. What? James 2 and 2. what What's the deal there? Well, he's, he's saying many things to them and we're not going, going to go into a full discussion of uh, his subjects there. But this statement stands out. You do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, there are things that God would like to give you but you haven't asked for them and so he's not <laughs> going to give them to you. Uh, you tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong. You do not have because you do not ask. And I I know that sometimes that's the case. Probably a lot of times that's the case. God wants us to ask. We have over there whereas in chapter 7 of Matthew. uh, He says, uh, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you because everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door shall be opened. So the emphasis there is on asking. The implication seems to be that if we don't ask, we won't receive. It won't be given to us. But uh, maybe that's not the case here. Who knows? Let's go on to another one. And this one is, uh, this is Mark chapter 10, 30. Who heard that Jesus was passing by with a great multitude. And uh, he started calling out said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There were those who said, be quiet. He, he doesn't have time for a beggar like you. He's got the multitudes are following him. But Jesus heard his cry and he stopped the multitude and he said, and I love this, he gave them an order. He said, bring him to me. <laughs> Somebody, I imagine, that had told the man to be quiet was now told by the Lord himself, bring that man to me. If it wasn't the same one, I suppose it doesn't matter. But that man was brought to the presence of the Lord, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus just brought every one of us into his presence and said, what do you you want me to do for you? Because let me tell you, Jesus wants to do a lot of things for you. You say, well, I've asked him, and, and he didn't do anything. Or a lady say one time, I, I prayed to the Lord about this, and he didn't, This was kind of disrespectful. She said, he didn't move his little finger to help me, or words to that effect. Later on, I was happy to hear her change that and say that God had answered her prayer. Praise God. And, and the, the Jesus um, asks us, what do you want me to do for you? And then we really have to want him to do it for us. I remember Brother Paul Finkenbinder was a preacher in uh, Latin America, one of the smaller countries. uh, I forget which. It was El Salvador, and he said that uh, he said my mouth just watered at the thought of having a radio program heard all over Latin America. And he said, you know, I think one of our problems sometimes is we don't let our mouth water enough. Salivar. And, uh, but he had this desire and he came up with a format and it was called uh, Con Hermano Pablo Un Mensaje de la Verdad or something like that. De poder, something. And it, it gained popularity. People listened to him all over the nation. It was only three minutes long. But it was powerful, those three minutes, which he proclaimed the word of God. And they were getting all kinds of mail and sending out all kinds of uh, of, of uh, lessons by correspondence. So, and he said, Yo creo que a veces nuestro gran problema es que no se nos hace agua la boca. So I think our great problem is our mouths don't water enough to desire and want and long after God's blessings. If we do, we continue seeking until the answer comes. Hallelujah. So um, let's see. This is Matthew. He, Jesus says, if you then, though this is Matthew 7:11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It seems to me that verse is saying the same thing. Saying God wants to give you good gifts, but he gives good gifts to those who ask him. And there are good gifts that will never reach you if you're not asking God for those. What a wonderful thing that is. And then there's the verse number 4 here the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective prayer is powerful and effective for what? to ask for something and for God to give it hallelujah so that one sort of bears it out then Ephesians 6 and 10, 19 Paul said pray also for me pray also for me he had been talking about the the whole armor of God and he said pray also for me that whenever I speak That fly will get out of here. Uh, No, he didn't say that. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Come on, Paul. God already wants to bless you. You're already blessed. You already speak his word fearlessly. Fearlessly. And yet you're asking that that we pray that whenever you speak, words may be given you? Yes, he was. God wants to give me words. He wants me to speak fearlessly. And I need your prayers. And I hope you'll pray for me. Hallelujah. So that I can speak it as I ought to speak it. And then I guess I have one more really good example. This is Epaphras. And this is in the book of Colossians, the fourth chapter. I don't have exactly the verse down here, but it's a good part of that fourth chapter of Colossians in the Bible. And this is what Paul wrote. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So they deduced that he was pastoring three, three churches, one in Colossae and one in uh, Laodicea and one in Hierapolis. But he had come to see Paul. Paul was in jail in the prison there in Rome and this man had come up voluntarily to bring probably an offering, certainly to encourage Paul. He may have been one of Paul's converts. But but, but Epaphras was Epaphras was concerned about the people he had left at home in these three cities, in Colossae and, and uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis, and he was praying for them. And you know what he was asking for? Well, Paul tells us what he was asking for. He says, he is always... Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God. Was God in favor of that? Of course he was. But here is Epaphras praying, Lord, help my people in these three cities, cities—Colossia and Hierapolis and Laodicea, to stand firm in the will of God, not be blown about by every wind of doctrine, not be affected by all the circumstances of life that irritate so many people, to stand firm in the will of God, glorifying God and serving him with all of their hearts and being mature, not childish. You know, there are are some wonderful people that are so childish. I'm so grown up. I know what it is to be grown up. I'm not childish. Except that's a childish statement. Okay, I am childish. But we we need to stop being childish and be firm and mature. People get mad so easily. You know what? The preacher was preaching this Sunday, and he was preaching right to me. Somebody's been talking to me, to the preacher. Hey, you are one of the most fortunate people alive. If the preacher's preached directly to you, you're getting direct counseling without even asking for it. Hallelujah. And this man was praying for them that they be mature and have full assurance and he said, "I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis." Well, we have Clovis Chapel's statement. He said, "We win our knee, we win our battles on in prayer." Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane won the battle before he had to face the mob that were coming, was coming against him, and he was very tranquil and. Uh, Assured and unafraid, as he faced that mob. As a matter of fact, I think one thing maybe people haven't don't remember well is what happened when Jesus faced that mob. They came against him with um, some of them had swords, some of them were soldiers, some of them had clubs, others came with torches. But they came to face the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and he said, "To whom are you seeking?" And they said. Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am He. Do you know what happened? They fell backwards on the ground. Jesus had won the victory already. He had no reason to be afraid of them in in in, in uh, about anything at all. He was in control, and so here we have these people praying, Clovis Chapel, that great Methodist preacher, said that we win our we win our our battles on our knees. We win on our knees in prayer, our battles. Praise God. But you know, there's another thought that comes to me. There's another thought that comes to me about all of this. The scripture says that we are going to reign with the Lord. When we stand before him in the final day, we who have endured to the end and have served him faithfully and committedly, uh, though perhaps imperfectly, We are going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. But you know what strikes me? If it is true, as I think these texts indicate, that my prayers affect God, I'm already reigning with him. I'm already ruling with him. I ask him to do something that my understanding is he wouldn't have done it if I hadn't asked for it. But I asked for it and he heard my prayer. And he responded and and he's letting me have a part in all the decisions that are made in the, in the conversion of souls. If I go out and I'm witnessing and I'm praying and, and I'm being able by the Holy Spirit to affect people to leave their lives of sin and ungodliness and unruliness and turn to the Lord and, and, and be transformed into his likeness, then I am already ruling with God. He's training me to rule with him throughout eternity. Hallelujah. Oh, what a wonderful thing. We read there, for example, in 2 Timothy 2 and 12, this this closing scripture where Paul writes, if we endure, that is, if we keep serving God, if we keep committing our lives to the Lord, if we keep endeavoring to obey his word, if we keep leaning upon him, Paul says, we shall also reign with him. So it turns out that prayer is not a heavy burden that you have to carry. Prayer is a part of your participating with God in the ruling of the universe. I talked to God and, you know, some time back we were praying and I felt a, a special burden. I wish this happened all the time and I'm really trying to reach that place where... Uh, my wife told me I was talking to Marilyn, uh, my my sister-in-law, and uh, she's uh, she she's having problems with auto autoimmune problems and others other things, and you know God laid a burden on my heart. <laughs> I went to the my prayer chamber and I began to pray for her, and 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 it's it's amazing how at times you can have the assurance. That that prayer is being heard in heaven. God is responding. Not only is that, but God is enabling you to pray that way. That, that The reason you can pray that way is because the Holy Spirit, you're praying in the Holy Spirit. And he's helping you as you pray. And we received word in just a day or two, no more she was having no more pain. She was able to get around better than she had in many years. You know what that tells me? That tells me. That if I pray, if I call out to God, if I understand that my prayer is not just a ritual. It's not just to say words that sound good, to fill in time. My prayer is to move God on his throne. So that the things that move the heart of God move my heart also. Hallelujah. That as I present those things to him, as Paul said, pray that I'll speak the right words. I want to do that. Someone else says, I want to be healed. I want to pray that you'll be healed. And you know what? As I pray and believe God and as you do that, we are workers together with God. We're, we are already reigning with him. I'm a king. Hallelujah. Don't tell anybody else that I said that. But I'm a king. And you too. Because we're serving God. And we owe everything to him. And he's preparing us for an eternity of wonderful and marvellous things, as we pray and seek his face, so Father, we thank you, hallelujah. Oh, ask the Lord of the harvest to do what he already wants to do, but he won't do as much as if we had prayed, so we pray, He wants you you want to depend upon us, Lord, you want to count on us to pray and to call on your name and to pray in the spirit and and to be mature and fully assured and standing firm in our faith, in our our, our consecration to the living God. We thank you for it, Father. We glory. thank you for the privilege. Thank you because you depend on me. Thank you because you depend on each one of us. Help us to respond to that dependence that God is giving, offering to us. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.